Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Sharon Moore, and I'm one of your hosts. And on this podcast, we talk to Hoffman graduates about how their courageous journey inward impacted their personal lives, but also how it impacted their community and the world at large. So tune in and listen in and hear how our graduates' authentic selves, how their love, how their spirits are making a positive impact on our world today. In other words, get to know their love's everyday radius. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Today, my guest is Anita Sanchez. Anita Sanchez is devoted to bridging indigenous wisdom with modern times. She's the author of an international best-selling book called The Four Sacred Gifts. She's a member of the Transformational Leadership Council, sits on many, many important boards, and has over four decades of leadership and coaching training in areas such as diversity and inclusion, culture and positive change. And before we get her on the show, here's a fun fact about her. She's the first in her family, which is, by the way, over 100 first cousins to have earned a doctorate degree. So Anita, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So I, I want to just start with the first thing that is, is ever, anywhere I look um, a, around you, I see that this is a woman who's devoted to bridging indigenous wisdom with modern times. And I'm aware that our modern times are a little bit messy right now. So I'm curious, can you tell me more about that? How do we bridge those two? Well, they're quite essential. Yes, uh, we do by virtue of just being, being, being alive. So indigenous wisdom, first of all, all of us are actually indigenous in the anthropological sense. That is, we're from the earth. But there are those of us who have for thousands of years uh, consistently lived the tradition, the original knowledge. And so, but the reality is I tell people all the time is learn about who you are, where you came from. Apologize to that land, that water where you left. Even if it wasn't you, it could have been centuries ago that your family left that place. But it's very important because what came before helps us to understand what is happening now so that we can heal what needs to be healed, utilize the strength and create anew. So it's, um, I'm using indigenous wisdom and and everything I do, both in my personal life and in my work life. Mm. I, I love this idea of, you know, you said apologize to the land, even if it wasn't you, even if it happened ages ago, there's something so wise around. It doesn't start when I was born. It starts a long, long, long time ago. And that I'm living that out in my life today. I totally agree. And we, we now we're learning more with trauma and other things that, you know, epigenetics that we're having a better understanding of what actually could be at a cellular level, what we're carrying. So I see that as both the gifts that we carry from our ancestors, as well as the other challenges and sufferings that we need to release so that we can be fully present to be connected to all of our relations, both people as well as nature. Mm, wow. I often do this uh, exercise with some of my staff on, you know, we often talk about what is the impact that we're going to have for seven generations, but what if we put ourselves right in the middle in the fourth generation? What is the cleanup we have to do for the last three and how do we set up the future three? 
That's what I go by. Some people do the seven generations all out in front of them uh, into the future, but I've always learned it um, from from my elders is that we are right in the middle. So that is to say that all those who came before, you know, you're in gratitude to, for, and all those who are coming, you're in gratitude. And how can I live a life that not only serves me, but serves who I'm connected to in this amazing hoop of life? And so you've been doing this, you know, just reading about your work where you lead and train and coach leaders specifically around inclusion and diversity and positive change and culture. Um, how do you stay uh, devoted and inspired and motivated in this area, you know, where sometimes the needle really, really moves and sometimes it really doesn't? Well, yes. And that <laughs> that's part of the book you talked about, because actually when I learned about the Eagle Hoop prophecy, I was at one of those places in the 90s where I was going to quit what I was doing because it wasn't moving. The needle was not moving on women, people of color, gays, lesbians, bisexual, transgender, even white men who didn't quite fit the mold that the organization wanted. And I thought I could do something else. And then I experienced through volunteer work was in the presence of this eagle hoop and learned of the prophecy and the gifts to help us remember. Um, Spirit said human beings are creating great suffering because we have forgotten what it means to be in healthy relationship with ourselves, other people, nature, and spirit itself. And so then I began using those four gifts and um, it took me quite a while of using them that, you know, back in 2017, I actually published the book so that way more people could learn about these, but I've used them everywhere in my own life. And I continue to, as well as with business leaders from large global international corporations to, um, you know, solopreneurs and community groups. And um, that with the neat thing is, which I'm sure you know, we all have the capacity. We all have these gifts. We just need to remember and sometimes some guidance, if not just being quiet to listen to the internal guidance, then guidance of people who really care and nature that cares about us, that's external to us, that we can do the work that we need to do to be whole and thriving. Do you find that of the four, which uh, I'll, I'll let you introduce those four if, if you feel uh, compelled to introduce all four of them, do you find that there is one that is harder for people to approach? Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So the four gifts are to that Spirit told these 27 elders from all over the world to put into a hoop for all humankind, not just for indigenous tribes, but for all humankind. And the first is the gift of the power to forgive the unforgivable. The second is the gift of the power of unity. The third is the gift of the power of healing. And then the fourth is the gift of power of hope and action. And you can imagine uh, when I ask people, having heard these, and they just get quiet and look in their heart, what is calling to them? What I find is overwhelmingly, it's the forgiveness one is, and they don't want to do it. <laughs> it seems so painful and hard. And yet, the honesty of saying that's what's calling allows them then to start taking the step, well, maybe I am worthy of being unconditionally loved myself and the ability to love others that I will take that step of, uh, of forgiving the unforgivable. Yeah. And you know, what struck me in that first chapter of your book, um, you, you're, you're not just teaching this, you are embodying it. And in that book, you reveal your story and 
it, for those of you who haven't already, I so recommend it. It is really powerful and vulnerable. And I just, what was it like to share that story in, in such a public space and such a wide scale? I did a lot of work. I've had a lot of help, uh, both from two leggeds, <laughs> but also from nature itself. It was important that these gifts were so incredible to help me do my healing, to remember my wholeness, to give the gifts that I have to contribute. And we certainly know all of our gifts are needed at this time with uh, life itself calling us, all the separation that's occurring. So it is different to share that because I run into people, not anymore in airports since we're sheltering in, um, you know, who would come up to me and go, oh, I know you, you're the forgiveness lady is what I'm being called by a lot of indigenous people. Um, you're the forgiveness lady. I didn't think I could do that, but I'm, I'm, I'm considering, or I've done this. And, and so on one hand, I, I can't imagine not sharing because too often it feels theoretical that people talk. And like you said, people will listen and believe me because I'm talking about, no, this is, you know, I had one hand a really wonderful childhood in that I had elders and uh, learned all these various things, and I was quite bright, so school has always been easy. On the other hand, I did a deep, dark seeker of sexual abuse from the age of 4 to 13. And as if that wasn't enough to deal with, then at 13, my father was murdered. And um, he was mistaken because he's dark-skinned, where in the 60s, uh, early that day, my father was also an alcoholic, he always would go after work to the neighborhood bar and have a beer. And that day, and that summer, July day in 67, he went there unbeknownst to him that earlier that day, a black man and a white man had an argument. While he sat there having his beer, the white man returned and just saw his pro profile, his dark skin, and fired three bullets and killed him on the spot. And, um, you know, that... That, for somebody just at 13 dealing with both those things, was uh, quite a lot. And, you know, I would love to say it was all, you know, everything changed. You know, there was hardship. I went to work at 13. I lied about my age. And, you know, I was made a manager within a year. But what, what, what it really was is that I began the process of a dream that I had been having since I was age three. And this is where what's really important and I love about the work of Hoffman. It's not only like I know a process and many processes that if you allow yourself, you can, with some assistance, really find your wholeness because you, we all are sacred. But it was also that things unseen are at work. And that's how I was raised is that there is the sea which we see and know through your five senses, but there's also the great mystery and that we're in, we're spirit. Now people may talk about that as energy or talk about other things like God or Allah. And I admire and respect whatever it is, but what, what it allowed me to do is in the Hoffman process was to really take another level. I'd already done a lot of work. So I'm not going to, the book had already been written. I've already been impacting tens of thousands of people. Now I think, what the prophecy had told me, the elders, when I asked if I could write, they said, your voice will be heard by millions of people. And I think that's true. I think that's true now. I Before I would have, you know, I'm sure I raised my eyebrow, but many more than that already. And it's because we want it. So I thank you for raising it. It's not, 
I, I don't know what to say. Some people go, gosh, you should be ashamed of that. Or, oh, that's family talk. And it's like, well, yes, but when you know your family is the whole hoop of life, then why wouldn't you share that with all your family, with all your relations? But also in your in the way you tell it in, in, in the book, not only, I mean, literally, I just had to take it in slow um, because it's so dense in the experience of a 13-year-old and the, the uh, sophistication of it. But then there's the scene where your mom has the people at the door. Yes. So it's, as we know, especially in these times with the racial divide and the hatred and the murder that's happening. So that was hard enough, you know, with my mom with a seventh grade education, very bright, but all this work and, and six kids that she's left to raise, uh, nine to 18, I'm 13 at the time. The week after actually has impacted my life, I would say almost as much as the loss of my father, the murder. It was the wife, a white woman and her young, her son, who I think was somewhere around my age of 13, came to our door and she introduced herself to my mom and I was standing by my mom at the door as the wife and the son of the man who murdered my father. And then she said, Mrs. Sanchez, I just had to tell you, I just, you need to understand my husband would never have, he was a good man. He never would have killed your husband if he knew he was Native American or, or Mexican. He thought he was black and you know how black people are. And she started saying these other things. And I remember my mom shaking and I never heard my mom scream at a total stranger before. And she just yelled at her to stop, stop what you're saying. You don't even know what kind of hatred you're teaching your son, but I want you to know I'm going to try really hard to pray for your soul, but you get off my porch. And that night she talked to all of us, and I'll never forget this. She sat us all down and she said, I want, I'm not going to talk about this a lot of times, but I want you to know that a white man murdered your father, not the white race. A white man. And then she opened the newspaper and showed my father in a pool of blood on the barroom floor. And I remember us all just crying. And she said, now this has to stop. This, and that's the only time I also heard her ever say racism. I mean, she would teach us about how to protect ourselves because not everyone would love us and care about us. But she just basically said, that needs to stop. And then she said, you know, I do believe that most people are good. Most people want to just live good lives and, and be kind. And there are those who have forgotten. And so you do have to, be conscious and aware and present to what's going on. But I want you to know that you live in a world that is loving and caring and that the other is the, is the thing that's not true. She didn't say anomaly, but she said that's the thing that's not true. When we start to believe that the suffering, that the pain, the hurt, that that's the truth. And boy, if she only, you know, she just taught me so much even in that moment so from my dream, knowing I was going to, from age three, connect hearts and minds all over the world, it's not too strange that by 16, I started college. It started as fast as I could because there's no money. And then by my early 20s, I'm already consulting and training. And later, I start working on my PhD and began working all over the world with people with whose countries are at war with each other. And then eventually ended up in the corporate private sector world where I was kind of puzzled, frankly, uh, Sharon, like, what am I doing here? And then I realized, oh my gosh, that there is beauty everywhere, 
There is incredible creativity everywhere, and there is such deep pain and suffering that the possibilities are so much greater when we can do the fir- use the gifts of forgiveness and healing. But I will tell you, most people bring me in for unity and hope in action, and I will share with them, you start wherever because all these gifts are in us. However, you will find that you could have the biggest vision, you could have many followers, but you will never be as big as it could be or even more expanded with more people being engaged if you don't do your own healing and forgiveness because it blocks it. And my work at Hoffman helped me see that because I already thought I had pretty big vision. But um, I'll tell you, just in the last, I guess it's been two and a half or three years since I've been there, my family saw it right away, not being stuck on technology all the time on my phone all that but also this the confidence and the compassion for myself and for other people I think is what has allowed me to doing the work I'm not seeking out awards but my book got an international award that's the eagle hoop prophecy I got named conscious company world changing woman I just got acknowledged on October 11th a World Women's Foundation identified 60 women around the world, including Jane Goodall and many people you would know. But there is Dr. Anita Sanchez, who people not many know. Now I know some few million may know me. However, they have me down as one of the she is hashtag. She is my hero. And I'm already hearing from girls in different parts of the world because the goal is to have 1 million girls see in these 60 women at least one who could be their hero to inspire them to step in, to follow their dreams, follow their purpose, you know, to be the biggest, best, beautiful, connecting person in what I say is the hoop of life in this one beautiful earth that we have. And I just need to go back to your mom. I, I, I am just struck by a woman, as you painted the picture, six kids to raise by herself, just lost her husband, just had these people knock on their door. Can you imagine? My body shakes just imagining what it must have been like for her. And she turns around and offers the most incredible wisdom and embodiment of forgiving the unforgivable. It's, it's, it's like, I have to stop and take a full breath. It is just so moving. And of course, that's your mother. And of course, look at who you become. Well, that was her. That was my mom. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I was just, that's so, so beautiful. And, and, you know, I just want to, we're, 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 we're coming towards the end of the interview. I just have a couple questions. You know, here you are a woman who has been, like you said, by, from a young age due to uh, horrible circumstances, been led to be in process, uh, both by your will and sometimes by the circumstance. And so how so many years later, what, what, brought you to Hoffman and and are you still able to connect to maybe a memorable moment, a pivotal moment when you were in the process? Absolutely. Actually there are many, but the I think the key one that how I how I came there is because I'm also a member of uh, Transformational Leadership Council. And so I know some of the um the founders or the leaders of uh Hoffman and uh he Raz happened to read my book when it had come out. I gave one to all the TLC members. The next day he said, Well, I don't think we've spent enough time talking and you need to know you're you're doing a lot of the work that we do and we all need to know of each other. And so I want you to participate in this. So that's basically the connection was through 
uh, one of the, the president CEO. I don't know. I don't really know titles, but, um, which is also the thing I loved about Hoffman that you didn't have, but people's first names, no titles, no nothing else, just all relations, just all human beings committed to doing their work and becoming more fully whole and honoring their sacredness. And I love that. But I was going to say the thing that still sticks with me is that I remember actually filling out the many, many pages. I thought this is some process because it was a lot to prepare before you even went. And I remember writing and writing and writing and answering the questions and writing and writing and writing. And then when I got there, I remember asking on the first day we saw people, you you don't ask their background. You don't ask. But I thought, well, I didn't say you couldn't ask this. How many of you put a yes to all the questions except one? So one I didn't I didn't put a yes to because it asked about adoption, and I wasn't adopted. But I said yes to all of it, and everyone looked at me and nobody said they did. Wow, this is going to be a big week for me. I have a lot to do. <laughs> and yeah, and so that was really, but they looked at me not in judgment. So that was the other wonderful thing about this space there. From the get-go, it was instead there, the eyes were more like we see you. That's what it was. It was just human connection. It wasn't, you know, and on the way I was asking was not a judgment either. It was just, I'm curious, you know? And so that was a, powerful moment that just everything else unfolded in terms of really working those negative love patterns. And then um, I will share one others because it, it did change in terms of some of my work and, you know, with all my degrees and certificates and everything else. But I thought that some of the negative patterns in my family that I had overcome because I'm living a very different life in some of those. Some things are, like you said, I'm similar to my mom, but other things not. And then I was told, well, part of it is if you're using energy to do something against, then you really haven't completely healed that because you're still using the energy. And I, that just struck me as like, yeah, I am using some of my energy that I want to have to be present to what is and to what I want to create with others and help connect people up to the earth and to each other. Like I'm just so committed to indigenous wisdom alongside and contributing to all the other wisdom traditions is so critical at this time. And that was very powerful because I now, you know, it's like, it's like when you buy a new car and then every you see that car everywhere. Well, now that I knew that, I know that, when I see others working so much energy and saying how they're, they're done, I can pose the possibility of the invitation to look at it another way. And that's so the beauty that you're being called to do another level of healing. And that, isn't that great? <laughs> oh, yeah. I know this reaction from other students, too. It's like, wait, what? I had no idea of that. Yeah, that's, that's, I hear that a lot. Yeah. And, and I also think not just that, I, I, I mean, I think you are um, sh modeling that you're an eternal learner. You, the process doesn't really end. It just continues to deepen. And I think there is such a lovely openness in being somebody who, yeah, hashtag she is my hero. Absolutely. And here you are still being a learner, still in process. And those gifts that I told you about that I'm so excited um, to get out to everyone is that it's forever. It's not that we're not human and fall off, but what I found is the difference from using those four gifts of forgiveness, healing, unity, and hope, but also from all those processes that are so beautiful that I won't go into detail about them at all, but that they 
they just let me know that, oh my gosh, you don't have to spiral downward and get stuck. There's, there are these tools, there are these relations that will, that are there for you and always are. We merely just have to say yes. In fact, you don't even have to say a big yes. You can say a questionable yes and still end up getting all the benefits, right? Because we are truly cared for and um, people want us to thrive. And, and I think nature and our animals and all everything we're meant to. So I'm just really appreciative and love talking to you about it because it's brought up just so many memories, just beautiful. And I'm excited that other people will look at this for them that love themselves enough to take the grace and space, the time, the resources to actually go into the work and the loving themselves enough to do that work because then it impacts everybody you touch. What a beautiful way to say it. If you have enough love for yourself, you prioritize the, the, this work. That's beautiful. Dr. Anita Sanchez, I could keep talking to you for hours. There are so many things that have uh, inspired me deeply just reading this book. If we were on video, I would show the book because it's in my hand. What a powerful read. Not just, you said it, not just theoretical, but Dr. Sanchez's embodiment of these four sacred gifts. So thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you for doing this work in the world and for helping all the organizations you do. And thank you for taking the time to be with us today. I hope to see more of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org. Thank you.